0: 321 i relaunch the podcast where we discuss strategies advice and success stories about returning to work after a career break i'm carol fishman cohen the chair and co-founder of i relaunch and your host for today today we welcome whitney johnson whitney is the ceo of wlj advisors and one of the 50 leading business thinkers in the world as named by thinkers 50. she's an expert on helping high growth organizations develop high growth individuals Whitney is an award-winning author, world-class keynote speaker, frequent lecturer for Harvard Business School's Corporate Learning, and executive coach and advisor to C-suite executives. She's a popular contributor to the Harvard Business Review, an innovation and disruption theorist. She's the author of the best-selling Build an A Team, Play to Their Strengths and Lead Them Up the Learning Curve, and the critically acclaimed Disrupt Yourself, Putting the Power of Disruptive Innovation to Work which we will discuss as they relate to relaunchers. And also, I want to mention that Whitney is a dear friend of mine, and we've known each other for a very long time, and it is thrilling for me to have her as a guest on our show. So, Whitney, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to 321 I Relaunch.
1: Thank you, Carol, and I am so happy to be here. And I love the title of your podcast. That is
0: so clever. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. Uh, So let's just dive right in. And I want to start by asking you about your career path. Can you give us a quick synopsis of where you started? I I know you've done a lot of different things uh, over the course of your career.
1: Yes, absolutely. So quick synopsis is that I studied music in college, and when i graduated from college i had gotten married so yes i got married in college i know that's highly unusual Um, my husband and i we moved to new york so he could get his phd in uh, microbiology at columbia and then while we were there we needed to eat and so i was the person who needed to go to work and so i started working um, but because i had been a music major and i didn't know anybody and i didn't have very much confidence i started as a secretary working for a retail stockbroker um so go to work every day do this and i start thinking huh you know what why would i make x when 10x is a possibility i'm going to be doing this for a while my husband's phd is going to take at least five years it turns out it took seven years um i think i want to do something else and so i started taking business courses at night accounting finance economics um and my boss then believed in me and gave me a shot and allowed me to move from being a secretary to an investment banker. And for those of you listening who have been in financial services, you know, that that tends to be a fairly wide divide. Um, But then I did, I moved into banking, did that for several years. We had two children, which in many instances you all are familiar with is a very big disruption, took a step back from um, Mm -hmm. banking, move into equity research. Um, I, my boss had gotten fired. There was a merger a shakeup. Um, and I think they probably would have let me go except that I had good reviews and I was pregnant, which tends to be a pretty good insurance policy. And so I moved into equity research, which (laughs) uh, turns out was, um, it was a step back because from banking to equity research was a step back, but it it ended up being really a slingshot forward for me in my career because I was a really good stock picker. I did that for several years and then um, connected with Clayton Christensen at Harvard Business School and um, eventually uh, co-founded the Disruptive Innovation Fund with him. And then several years later, I, uh, after working with him and having studying disruptive innovation, this idea that a silly little thing can take over the world, I had this big insight, this big aha, that this theory wasn't just about products, it was about people. And so I wanted to chase this idea down. I had written an article in Harvard Business Review called Disrupt Yourself. And so in 2012, I sold my stake in this investment fund and have since then several more disruptions later, have become an author and a researcher and, and basically codified this framework of personal disruption that I, I teach to organizations around the world.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And, you know, I was in investment banking myself on the buy side and the sell side and, uh, you know, started out on the investment management side in an equity research role and then ended up in corporate finance later. So I I completely understand and relate to um, the different sides of the business and the timing. It really quite incredible timing and how you made that leap from being a a secretary to um, rising to prominence and and being a top stock picker and, uh, you know, uh, being on the investment banking side along the way. Quite amazing, Whitney. And uh, it's really exciting to hear. Yeah, to hear about your evolution. So so thank you for taking us through that. Uh, So you talked about um, what led to the uh, Disrupt Yourself book. And we'll talk about that um, uh, in a little bit because it, it, there's a lot in there that relates uh, to relaunchers, to our audience directly. Um, but can you uh, talk a little bit, well, actually, can you talk a little bit more about the book itself, Disrupt Yourself, and then also um, leading into the next book that you wrote, the bestseller Build an A Team?
1: Yeah, so I think... Um- Actually, if I if you don't mind, I'm going to back up a little bit and talk about my very first book, because I think this really applies to to relaunchers. Um, and and uh, because so the very first book I had written was called Dare, Dream, Do and kind of talk through them in sequence was um, here. I had said, you know, I was working on Wall Street. I was so excited about what I had accomplished, but. During there was this one interim period when I had left Wall Street and was figuring out how to become an entrepreneur, I had a little bit more time. And our children at that point were nine or eight years old and four years old, respectively. And so I was having lots of conversations with people. And, and by the way, my husband had now come home. Um, and so he we had switched roles. And, um, and so I was the primary breadwinner. Um, But I was having conversations with people and asking them, you know, so what's your dream? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to achieve? And so many people said to me, in this particular instance, it was women. Well, they'd say, well, I don't really have a dream um, and I don't know quite how to do one if I had one. But there was almost always this unspoken, I'm not sure it's my privilege to dream. Mm -hmm. And that was so devastating for me in many ways, um, because these are people that I was talking to that in many instances had three and four and five and sometimes six children. Many times they had college degrees. They were capable. They were running these households that were certainly I looked at and admired. And I was like, how is it possible that you can't have a dream? And so part of writing that very first book for me was this idea of i want you to believe that it is your privilege and it is your birthright to have a dream of something that you want to achieve but it was also in some ways an homage i didn't realize this until later but i was basically looking at them saying you've kind of figured out how to do these things where you're caring for other people Um, i want to figure that out too but i also then in my figuring this out i'm going to teach you what i've learned and and so the, the image that always comes to my mind is You know, you know how to be a harbor. I've learned how to be a ship. I now want to learn more about being a harbor and I will teach you how to be a ship. And so that was really the purpose of that book. And I think in this instance, it applied to people who had been at home um, with their children and more and more at home with parents. Um, And I think I had sort of a special inside look, because as I said earlier, my husband had come home and and been home with our children for 10 years. And at that time, it was maybe, I don't know, one, two percent of the population. And so I had these friends that I was seeing, but then I was also experiencing this kind of real time at, at home as well.
0: You know, I remember you wrote an article for Harvard Business Review about your husband's return to work. And his experience as doing that as a stay-at-home dad at a time where there was more stigma attached to that—it's it, lessening. Um, but we ha- and we have more and more men who are willing to go yes. on record now about their career breaks um, and their returns. But I, I remember that that article vividly.
1: Yeah, and and I think it might be useful to include it if you want in the show notes because. Um, I, and I remember actually having this conversation with you, Carol. I don't know if you remember. I think you were quoted in the article. I think yeah. I quoted you. I think quoted so. you. And <laughs> and how we did right. And yeah. yeah. And I, in fact, I'm sure we did. But I remember you saying that at this point in time, you had been working with relaunchers for over ten years, and you said that he was the only only the second academic who had been able to successfully relaunch. And yeah. so it was, you know. It was it was a big deal that he was able to do that and and really meaningful and 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 hard in in going through that process of trying to relaunch.
0: Yes. And since then, we have had just, you know, a handful more, you know, getting back into tenure track academia is is a is a tough route for a relauncher but we are starting to see some success stories um one of the and one of the very first ones as you're saying uh was uh the success story of your husband doing exactly that i'm so glad that you started with the discussion of dare dream do i should have brought that up initially um that book is very relevant for relaunchers and it was a, it's a great starting point for for our conversation uh, so Bring us along and um, the the whole journey of book writing and you know what led to the next one and and then what what led to the A team book. Yeah.
1: So um, okay. So we talked about Dare Dream Do. Um, I started to talk about this idea of disrupt yourself. I'm working with Clayton. We're applying it um from an investing standpoint and having this aha that this really applies. To people as well. And so I had written the article in Harvard Business Review, but, um, but I, I felt like, well, actually my publisher who had published the first book said, you need to write this book. And so I thought, okay, I need to write this book. And, um, and one of the things that happens for anybody who's listening is if you have an idea that you're trying to figure out what you really think Um, Whether or not you think you're going to sell a lot of books or not, there is something about the discipline of writing a book that is incredibly valuable. It forces you to codify. It forces you to figure out what do I really think? What do I have to say on this topic? And so the book Disrupt Yourself was basically saying, We've looked at this from a theoretical standpoint with products and services and companies and countries. What does it look like for the individual? And then I created a seven-point framework of personal disruption that once you make that decision to jump from one S-curve of learning to another S-curve of learning, how do you move along that, that curve quickly? And I, I would argue that whenever you, you leave the workforce, or are trying to, like you said, going from retired to unretired, you're going from the military to civilian life, you're going from being caring for parents back in the workforce, that's a kind of disruption um, when you leave and when you come back again, you are disrupting yourself. And so I talk about these seven um, points or accelerants that will allow you to make that disruption more smooth, but then once you do it to, to move up that, that S-curve um, quickly and effectively.
0: Can you highlight uh, uh, one or two or three of the seven steps so people get a sense of exactly what these steps are all about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll go through them really quickly and then talk about um, one or two that I think are relevant in this particular context. So the first one is to take the right risks to play where no one else is playing. I'm going to go through all seven and then I'll come back. So number one, take the right risks to play where no one else is playing. Number two. Play to your distinctive strengths, the things that you do well, that other people do not. Number three is to embrace your constraints. Whatever you think you don't have enough of, whether it's time or money or expertise, um, how do you reframe that into how does it become a tool of creation? Number four is to battle our sense of entitlement, that we somehow deserve this, that that the world owes us. Number five is step back in order to slingshot forward. Number six is to give failure its due. Um, it's not failure that's really the challenge for most of us. It. It's, it's, it's the shame that we attach to certain failures. And so how do we give failure its due, jettison the shame that we feel, and then move forward. And then number seven is to be discovery driven or driven by discovery at the top of the curve, at the bottom of the curve, and everywhere in between. And so um, are there is there one that you want me to talk about or should I pick?
0: You know, you can pick, but one thing that you just said um, resonated right away with me where, where, you know, one of the things we talk about with relaunchers is because society attaches so much value to what we do as a working person, when we're on career break and we're completely professionally disconnected, we can experience a diminished sense of self because of that and that's why the relaunch is not just a regular job search there are all, there, there are these other um, components to it that, that are unique but that I think there's a sense of shame there and failure uh, even if we think we're, we're really excelling in whatever way we need to to do what we're doing on our career break um, sometimes, uh, you know, when we're in a social event and someone's asking us what we do, and we don't have anything to report in the career department, they're not interested in talking to us, and that makes us feel bad. So I, I'm just wondering if you could um, maybe talk a little bit more about that piece.
1: So important, isn't it? Um, I think you know we're always told that it's really important to have a sense of self of who we are, and and that our you know, our worth or worth or our worthiness is not attached to what we do, but that is an arena where we really get a sense of how attached or not it is. And so I think what I would say there is that we just need to be aware of it um, and and um, do the inner work, I think, when we make those decisions to. Um, To off ramp, that is a call to adventure, a hero's journey of its own kind to do inner work when we're making a decision to do something that society does not necessarily value. And yet we know deep in our bones, deep in our soul, that it is something that we oftentimes feel called to do at some level. And so how do we get this inner sense of conviction around that? So that would be the first thing that I would say is that it ends up being an opportunity for us to do a lot of inner work around our own sense of self. The second thing, though, I would say is that there is a narrative um, around that that we get to choose. Um, do we want to? Um, what what story do we want to tell around that? Because there are multiple stories that we could tell or not. Um, I, I, you know, and I, I will say, I think it's important. Is you know, I think about um, even the story with my husband and I of his deciding to be out of the workforce and and how we struggled to talk about that. And what did that feel like? And what did that look like? We did feel this sense of shame. And yet, if you think about it, and you do a reframe, and and you would talk to people, they'd be like, wow, like you guys did that? That's important. That's impressive. Um, I, you know, you were willing to make those choices and do those things for your children. And that Your husband supported your career and that I supported my husband and and loved and appreciated him for the work that he was doing that our society does not typically value. So there is a whole narrative piece that we have to decide what's my story and stick to it. And I think this then goes to this idea when you're relaunching as well as figuring out what your strengths are. I remember that book by Ann Crittenden that was written years ago that said, if you've been a mother, you can do anything. And I think, you know, if you've been a caregiver, if you've been in the military, if you've been retired and now you're not retired, you can do anything. And it's this willingness to sort of look at it's like, what did I, what have I been doing? And what skills did this thing that I've been doing really require me to do? Am I getting five people around me who have no incentive to work with each other? Am I figuring out how to get them to work together? Because that's a skill set that the workforce desperately needs. And so it's this willingness to be able to say, what is it that I actually know how to do? And I know how to do all sorts of things you know, from a leadership, from a human skill perspective that the workforce needs so, so badly, am I able to talk about that? Am I able to package that? Am I able to translate that in a way that not only do I value it, because if I value it, then the people around me will as well.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I have to comment that book um, uh, by Anne Crittenden, it's called The Price of Motherhood. And I vividly remember in the introduction to that book, um, she talks about why she wrote the book. And one of the the anecdotes is that, you know, she was a Pulitzer Prize nominated um, journalist, and she ran into someone she hadn't seen for a long time. And they said, didn't you used to be Anne Crittenden? And I thought, wow, that really sums up loss of identity, doesn't it? So... I, I, I always thought that had yeah. such impact, yeah. that, that particular quote. Um, so uh, thank you, Whitney. And we, I'd love to like talk about this piece of it uh, even, even longer, but I also want to move on and talk about um, to build an A-team. So um, tell us about the evolution and what you were doing and what then led to the writing of this third book
1: yeah so what happened is after i wrote disrupt herself um the boston globe wrote you know this book is basically the what color is your parachute of the entrepreneurial era and so a part of me is like yes this is awesome and the other part of me is like oh bad very very bad and the reason it was bad is that it meant that anytime i tried to talk to a corporation about doing work with them they were going to be like uh no we don't want to talk to you. We want, we don't want anybody to read your books or, you know, now a day's listening to your podcast, because if they do, anybody who's a high performer is going to leave. And I was like, no, 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 that, that is the point, actually, the point is, is that if you want your people to stay, then you give them opportunity to grow and you, you make it possible for them to disrupt themselves inside of your organization so that they can take you and your organization where you want to go. And so, so build an A team was really born out of that. There was as with anything, sort of this practical consideration of a repositioning in the marketplace, if you will, which I think is relevant since we're having a conversation about relaunching and repositioning of saying, this is the mechanism by which you become a high growth organization. And if you are an organization that is interested in growth, whether you're a growth stage company or um, a PE backed company, or even a fortune 100 company, if you want growth, you need people who, who can grow. And the best way to grow is to learn that Learn how to disrupt yourself, how to learn, leap, and repeat. And so Build an A Team was really focused on helping a, a, um, a manager build a team of high-growth individuals. And if you've got a group of high-growth individuals, then you have a, a company that can innovate.
0: You know, what I think is really fascinating there and relevant to relaunchers is this whole reframing of y- your original concept and how the thought process involved there. It's like, wait a minute. Um, there's a, there's a mismatch here because I was writing about not disruption that everyone gets up and leaves whatever they're doing, but there could be disruption and, um, that could actually lead to retention and it is a company topic, but you had to actively reframe that conversation and presented it in a whole different way in order for the rest of the world to come on board, it feels like. And and once that happened, then that was a runaway success. You you had that best-selling book.
1: Right. And and in fact, we just re-released Disrupt Yourself with Harvard Business Press with a new introduction to make sure that we are framing it. And again, this, I think, goes back to the conversation that we're having is how do we talk about... What we know how to do in a language that the people that we want to consume, what it is we do, can understand. It, it's a translation
0: problem. Let's just talk about that really important part for a minute because we, it always comes down for us to it, how you tell the story. And we, we talk to relaunchers about this, you, you know, what am I, I've been out for 10 years and how am I going to convince someone and what's my story going to be and how do I link what I did before and, and these other experiences I have to show what my value can be now. And it's all about how you tell a story. So I, I think there's so much power there in that reframing and that conversation piece.
1: Yeah, there is, and in fact, there's there was one podcast episode that um, we had. We had Wendy Sachs on. Oh yeah, a while ago. I'll, I'll you you remember? She Absolutely. has a good story around that reframing that, mm-hmm. that I'll share with you that you can include in the show notes. But I, I think it's so the way I think about it in in my parlance is is that you know whenever you're trying to on ramp um, or relaunch, you're basically Um, asking the person that you want to hire you to jump to a brand new S curve of learning. And it's not, it's not their S curve of learning, it's yours. And so the question, and so they're looking at it and going, well, that's kind of scary. Like why would I hire someone that I don't know what they've been doing really? And I don't know how to understand what it is they've been doing. That feels really risky to me. And it's going to be risky, not only to me, but it's also going to be risky to the people who, Um, who I work for. And by the way, um, it's even worse for women because we judge men on potential and women on track record. And if you don't have a discernible, obvious track record, very problematic. And so what we have to do in that situation is we have to de-risk it for them. We have to effectively pack a parachute for that person. And the best way to pack that parachute is to talk about what you know how to do in a language that that they will understand. And, and, and even simple things like um, the, the way you can think about it is, OK, so if I speak Chinese and you speak English, how are you going to explain something to me in a way that I can understand it? Or if um, I'm five years old and you're 25 years old and you want me to understand something, how are you going to talk about it in a way that I understand? If I'm in finance and you are in marketing, how do I talk about it in a way that it won't have meaning for the person marketing? How do, how does what I know how to do, do the job that you need done? And so, um, the way that I think about this, this idea of translation, and we kind of touched on this is how do you take, you know, uh, I'm going to use the, the mother example, cause I t- thought about this a lot in dare dream do is how do you take, a skill that you have of logistically managing five children that are under the age of 12 for example how do i take that skill of being able to manage logistics how do i take that skill of getting people to cooperate with each other how do i talk about that in a way that my workforce will understand or if i've been the head of the pto and i did a fundraiser and we raised five hundred thousand dollars that we had a budget of thousand dollars how do I talk about that? Well, I say, you know, I used $1,000 and our ROI was, um, 500 times. So how do you translate that into a language that people go, Oh, okay. When you say it like that, I get what you do. And so, so, and so you, you go to someone who speaks the language that you now want to speak and say, here's what I know how to do. I broke it into the component pieces. Can you help me reconstruct it in a way that it would make sense to you? And then if it makes sense to you, then the person I want to hire me, it will make sense to them. And then they will start to be able to take that risk because there's enough information. There's enough reduction of uncertainty that they're like, ah, oh, okay, that is a bet I'm worth taking that, that I'm, I'm willing to take.
0: So, you know, Whitney, I'm hearing the coach in you come out in the way that you're going through this conversation. And I I actually wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because I know that your coaching practice is very focused now on on the C-suite, but along the way, um, you, you know, in the past years, I, I know that you have coached some relaunchers and I was just wondering if you could give us any anecdotes uh, about challenges and advice that you've given relaunchers kind of along the line of what you've just been talking about. Is there anything else about uh, on the coaching side that's jumped out at you over the years?
1: yeah i think that one other piece in addition to what i've said that that has jumped out is there do you remember the accelerant that i talked about this step back in order to grow to slingshot forward um that's what personal disruption is so so one of the things that i think for a relauncher is you say um okay so here's where i was like here's how much i was getting paid here's where i lived um, here's what my title was, here's what the nature of what I was was doing, sort of this level of skill sets and recognizing that one of the best ways to de-risk that is to go back. And you did this in your own career is you basically go back and maybe do the exact same thing you were doing 10 years ago um, because they'll be like, well, I can, this looks like a duck and it acts like a duck. So it must be a duck. (laughs) And so then it it feels not scary to them, but then once you get in, so it feels like a step back for you because you haven't moved forward. But then once you get into the door, then they're going to start to see all these human skills that you have, and you're in a position to slingshot forward. So my other piece of advice I give people is to say, is to be willing to step back. I mean, that's what disruption is, is you basically say, okay, on my y-axis of success, I've been a 12. And I was sort of over one, up one, over one, up one. And from a career perspective, it looked kind of flat. But now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down that y-axis to an eight. Because I believe that if I will do that, if I can get my foot in the door, I have all these skills, all these intangibles. They have no idea what I'm capable of. All of a sudden, my career trajectory is going to be over one, up three, over one, up three. Mm. And so, so my other piece of advice is, willing to step back because you know that the things that you've learned how to do while other people don't yet value them, as soon as they can start to see what you know how to do, you are going to be in this very plumb position of being able to accelerate in a, at a very very um,
0: rapid rate. That is such excellent advice and you know I, I actually wrote an article for Harvard Business Review fairly recently about level. And what level? But people get really hung up on: Should I ha- be expecting to go back at the same level that I left? And what happens if I go, you know, several rungs down? Um, and so we actually looked uh, at cases where senior people had come back at a much lower level, and, and then they had been back for a few years, and where were they? And th- this whole slingshot theory that you're laying out um, w- was really demonstrated by by most of them. So y- you know, the, the bottom line was: Get your foot in the door. Um, And, and it it don't get too hung up on level. And I I just see it consistent with this sort of repositioning of yourself, even at a lower level, because then you're changing your trajectory. And so very very fascinating, um, Whitney. We're we're running out of time right now. I before we end, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions. One is just a quick diversion. Um, you have a very successful uh, disrupt yourself podcast, and I I I love the name. Um, it's been around for a while. You have the most amazing guests, including Brené Brown, and I remember um you talked to her about her late bloomer professional history, and that um, resonated because there is a, a guy named Rich Karlgaard who wrote a book recently called Late Bloomers. He was, actually spoke at our Stanford conference and I'm in his book because he looks at relaunchers as a form of late blooming uh, you know, I, I, I see how it could be interpreted that way and also how it might be interpreted differently. But I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts on the whole concept of late blooming and relaunching and also any um, comments from the, t- the opportunity to interview Brene Brown.
1: Okay. Well, let's take the Breneve one first. So I've been a fan of hers for seven or eight years and I am sure you can see kind of how her ideas have influenced my work when I was even talking about shame. So that was really Mm. exciting and she's just wonderful and warm and kind. And, and so it was, it was lovely to interview her. And, um, and, and so, so on the late bloomer thing, um, you may remember, you will remember because you were one of the honorees uh, a few years for about five years, um, um, Christina Valletta and I did a 40 women over 40 to watch list So yeah. we did it for for five years and on, on the idea of late bloomers and one of the things that we had seen is that the research says is that women tend to take off in their careers later than men do because for a number of reasons, sometimes because they're trying to be on multiple S curves a little bit more than men tend to be historically, but also because in order for a woman to move up in her career, she needs to not only manage up and sideways, she also has to manage down in a way that men do not. Mm. Men needs to manage sideways and up, but not down. So it just takes more time. You've got more touch points inside of your organization. And so I do think there is definitely This idea of a late bloomer, I do think that women can tend to bloom later than men for those reasons that I've described. But I also think from a relauncher context, I think, you know, there's um, there there is it's it's sort of the ultimate step back in order to grow, isn't it? I mean, I think Mm. about, you know, a decision to be a parent, Um, you know, it's it's such a disruption. And yet when you think about the growth that takes place in us when we try to do that and do it well as as difficult and challenging as it is. It is truly a slingshot for us forward emotionally and intellectually and, and even spiritually, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that there is some grooming that can take place um, from a character standpoint, but even from a career standpoint, as you've just proven out from your Harvard Business Review art- article, is that there is Um, a beautiful bloom that can take place um, when people relaunch. And typically it's going to be when they're in their forties and fifties and sixties. And so just a loveliness and a, and a ripeness and a maturity, whether it's a woman or a man that can take place um, that may not have been seen or may not have been emerged had they not taken that step back um, out of the workforce or the, the sort of the traditional workforce um, and then moved into this new and different thing, and 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 I, and I include the military in that. I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for the military and what the military does, and and I've coached a few people who have tried to make that jump from military into civilian life. Um, again, that's a different kind of bloom, but it's a very important and valuable, and and one that I am grateful
0: for. Bloom. Yes. Yes. Um, Whitney, I'm going to move now to. Our last question, uh, and it's the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? You know,
1: Carol, um, prior to this conversation, my best piece of advice would have been to, to break down your skill sets into its component pieces and then, then re- reconstruct it, mm-hmm. but um, on the... so. And that advice holds, but I think that based on the conversation that we have had, my most important piece of advice for relaunchers is to really look at that narrative and really look at whatever shame they are feeling or you are feeling around that decision that you made that you knew was actually, in many instances, the right decision Mm -hmm. and reconstruct that narrative and use that as an opportunity to do the inner work that will allow you to really grow up in in the best kind of way, and so that would be my best
0: advice for today. Excellent advice and an excellent place to leave it, uh, Whitney. Can you tell our audience how can we all find out more about your work?
1: Yes, thank you for asking. Um, I think you know on the given this conversation, I, there are a couple of podcast episodes that I think would be introduced you all to my work, but also be helpful to you in your own journey. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is a podcast episode 130 that I did with a woman named CV Harkwell, who wrote a book on feminism. And, and it's a very scholarly book, um, but very powerful and, and, and what I would almost describe as feminist if you will, of, of the workforce being a place that welcomes the feminine in the union sense. And I think that any workforce that really welcomes relaunchers um, has a feminine element to it. And so I think it's, it's, it's a podcast worth listening to, whether you are a woman or a man, because I think it will bring some perspective to this journey that you're on. Uh, and then the other two podcasts I would listen to are um, episode 100, which is about taking the right kinds of risks, which I think is relevant Um, To you as you're relaunching, you know, how do you play where other people aren't playing and and to position yourself and then episode 120, which is playing to your distinctive strengths, figuring out what you do well um, and and do it in distinctive ways, play where people aren't playing and and recognize that the relaunching that you are doing um, is is not something that is uh, that holds you back, but actually if you really look at it and, and tell the story right, it is something that can
0: slingshot you forward. Mm, excellent. Uh, well, we'll try to include references to all of those um, in the notes uh, with, with this podcast when we release it. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a wonderful conversation. Thank you,
1: Carol. It was a pleasure.
0: And thanks for listening to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media.